following message is from New Life Gillette series, Energy Source. This week, Pastor Mike concludes this series. Good morning. It's good to see you. Um, I'm excited to share with you what I have to share with you today. I will warn you, it's not what it's been. Though we've had some fun the last couple weeks, but today is uh, a little bit more of a heavy message. But I feel like God um, has given this to me to give to you, so I pray that He uses it and that He speaks to you through it today. We're we're in a series right now uh, called Energy Source. And we're talking about the things that as Christians, what does God give us to give us strength to persevere when others may falter, when others may fall? What strength source do we have as Christians to carry on? Today is Colossians chapter four. And the answer to this question is just overt and beautiful in Colossians chapter four. He opens up the chapter, Paul opens up the chapter talking about prayer. And he references it as a source of his strength. And he says, pray for us too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. What's the source of strength here? Prayer. Pray for us. What does he need strength for? That he can speak about. He's in chains, yet he's still asking for courage to keep speaking. Paul, don't you realize the reason you're in prison is because you're speaking? Why don't you just shut up, Paul? No. Praying for strength. He will speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Prayer. Pray for me. Don't neglect this incredible source of strength. Paul says, your prayers are giving me strength and they are giving me boldness. So today I want to talk about the boldness that we see so evident in Colossians chapter four, especially when you know the background of this chapter, you look at this and you just think, how is it possible to live the life Paul is living? He turns his attention then to a a disciple of his, an individual who has also been called to proclaim the good news in the face of persecution. And he turns to Archippus and he says this, and say to Archippus, be sure to carry out the ministry the Lord gave you. I know it's hard. I know everybody's persecuting Christians right now. Don't back away. Proclaim the ministry the Lord is giving you. Do the work. Persevere. Get on mission. Get involved. So I think this is where Paul intends for us to read this letter that he wrote to Archippus and become introspective and think, how do we do what he's asking Archippus to do? How do we carry out the ministry that God has given to us? I think, in my opinion, right now, the world needs missionaries to TikTok more than it needs missionaries to Africa. I mean, did you know that right now there are more missionaries coming to America from Africa than from America to Africa? There is a revival happening in Africa. There is a revival happening in in Asia. The gospel is spreading around our world in unbelievable ways right now, so much so that America is now their mission field. What does mission, mission work look like? Well, it usually looks like going to a culture that is a little bit unfamiliar and familiarizing myself with it so I can share the good news with that culture. 
I was on Twitter this week and I saw that there was a phrase trending on Twitter and it was, men get pregnant too. And I read that and I thought, what did I miss? And so then I click on it and I start looking at the feed and I'm like, I don't understand. Is that like a funny joke that was in a movie or something? What do you mean men get pregnant too? No, it turns out there are a lot of people who make the claim and believe men get pregnant too. And to me, this is totally countercultural. This makes no sense to me. I don't know. I don't understand how you possibly come to that conclusion until you start following their line of reasoning. And you realize if I had your worldview and if I thought the things that you thought, I can see how you come to the conclusion that men get pregnant too. But it is not until you immerse yourself in that culture and you understand their worldview that you realize here is why they think they are. This is what mission work looks like. I need to go and understand on TikTok how your worldview and your culture is so different than mine that you can come to the conclusion that men can get pregnant too. And that just seems crazy to me. We're talking about two different cultures here. And you have to understand the culture you're reaching. Now, it is our temptation in our human nature to fight against other cultures, take up arms, build our muscles bigger so that we are stronger and we overpower you. This is what happened when the Christian church in America realized that we could use voting power to change things. We just said, hey, we can become a voting block here, Christians. If we all just get on the same page, we can just use sheer might. We can use our power to accomplish what we want. So rather than affecting hearts and rather than affecting souls, we just use strength. There's a problem with that. It's a short-term strategy. In the short term, it may work. In the long term, it will fail every time. Because if you're not speaking to hearts, if you're not changing souls, then they're just going to fight back and the war eventually is going to be lost. I wish we had more time to talk about this today, but we don't. There is a strength and a patience available to us as Christians to fight battles in an unconditional love, sacrificial way that Christians have to us that will allow us to fight and win battles in a way that the world cannot fight against. They will lose if we lead with love and sacrificial generosity. That's how we fight and win. That is how we go to the mission field of TikTok and win souls for Christ. We will win the war for souls if our love outlasts the world's hate. Perseverance and patience and honor, they seem like weaknesses. Patience seems like a weakness to our world. But patience and perseverance and honor are the greatest of strengths. They require something that simply building muscles and overpowering cannot do. And they are available to us when we follow Christ, when we allow his Holy Spirit to change us and make us the people he created us to be. Do you realize that for millennia, Christians have endured terrible persecution to expand God's kingdom? We're blessed. We have not experienced this persecution. We, we like to call what we experience persecution because it makes us feel more holy and special. We are not experiencing persecution like the Christians throughout history have experienced persecution. Let's humble ourselves and say thank you to them. 
One verse earlier in Colossians, Paul says this. After you have read this letter, Paul's writing to Colossians, Colossians, after you've read this letter, pass it on to the church at Laodicea so they can read it too. Cherish this letter and hand it off. And you should read the letter I wrote to them too. So he's talking about a letter that he wrote, Paul wrote to the church in Laodicea. If you've looked at your Bible lately, you know we do not have a book called Laodicea. We have a book called Colossians. So where's the letter to the Laodicean church? Actually, if you think about it, the amazing thing is not that we lost the book to the Laodicea. The amazing thing is that we have the book to the Colossians. Like that, that took some amazing acts of God that we today can be reading this letter that was written to a small church. It took generations of dedicated, sacrificial people to get our Bible to us. And we are blessed. Did you know that AD 301 to 304, the Roman emperor Diocletian burned thousands of copies of the Bible? And there weren't that many copies, so burning thousands means a lot. Burned thousands of the copies of the Bible, commanded that all the Bibles be destroyed. You find a Bible, you must destroy it or face the punishment. And declared that any home with a Bible in it should be burned down, probably with the people inside it. In fact, he even built a monument over what he thought was the last surviving Bible. Diocletian, powerful emperor, unbelievable strength, right? You would assume strength wins, or you would assume pure might wins. You would assume the military, the, the powerful rulers of the world win this fight, right? No, they lost. He thought he destroyed the last Bible. Yet there were hundreds of Christians who had hidden, who had protected, who were putting their lives on the line protecting not the whole Bible, but parts of the Bible. Letters and books in the Bible. They gave their lives, risked their lives to protect these books, knowing that if they were found out, they would die. Yet they hid them. They protected them. The powers of this world were trying to remove Christianity from the face of the planet. Christianity, this terrible religion that tells me, Diocletian, that I cannot be all-powerful God. I'm not okay with that. I try to use my strength and my power and my might to erase it. Yet perseverance, and patience, and courage won the day. They were trying to remove Christian history, but actually what ended up happening was they preserved it. Did you know that today, the way we know where a lot of events in Jesus's life happened in Israel is because pagan rulers and pagan worshipers would build temples on the sites where Jesus did things in an attempt to erase the memory of history an attempt to erase the memory of Jesus. Yet what did they do? They thought they were erasing, yet they put a marker right where Jesus did what he did. Now we know where he did what he did because they tried to erase him from history. They tried to fight against him and he used them for his good. All things work for the good of those who love him and are called for according to his purpose. And he'll even use emperors. He'll even use pagan worshipers. He'll even use Pharaoh to accomplish his good in this world. You try to erase him, you will lose. Your military might, your muscles, they will lose. 
to the incredible love and patience and perseverance of God and his incredible Christians throughout history. There's a famous philosopher, atheist, Voltaire, who says, he predicted in his lifetime, he says, in less than a hundred years, the Bible will have been swept from existence and will have passed into history. He was wrong. In fact, a hundred years after he said this, the French Bible Society built its world headquarters in Voltaire's old home. He had died. And they built their world headquarters. The Bible Society built the world headquarters in his home and exists there today. Christians have given their lives to persevere and preserve scripture. And as a result, we have unprecedented access to God. That was their gift to you. That was their sacrifice to you. You know, the Bible was not compiled until 350 years after Jesus' resurrection. 350 years. So what were these people holding on to? Hey, Christians, they had like a letter. They had a little book here or there. They had rumors and stories that they told each other and they gave their lives for it. They didn't even have the whole Bible. They just had little parts. Sacrifice everything. They cherished and protected these few books that they may have. They couldn't read them because most of them were illiterate. Yet they gave their lives. But they had something else beyond just these letters. It gave them power. They had the Holy Spirit. Because he was able to give to them something that was new to Christians in this time. Because, you know, for most of human history, access to God or the gods has been reserved for the most special people. Access to God was reserved for the people who had done some good things to earn it, or they happened to be descendants of the right people, or because they happened to have the right ethnicity, or for some other reason, they had special privileges. They could access God. We had to rely on them to access God. That's not true for us. We have unprecedented access to God. When Jesus was on earth, he said this, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. Today, this, this is written to you, will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth who leads into truth. So even if I don't have it all written down, even if, if I don't have all the theology, theology and all the answers and every single book and all, all this right, he leads me to truth. 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead on Pentecost, the Christians have gathered together in a church and the Holy Spirit descends on them just as Jesus had promised. And that is changed humanity forever. You today are not just standing, sitting amongst other people. You are sitting in the church. And when I say the church, I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about us. And I'm talking about our fellowship together with the Holy Spirit that gives us something that is so, so special. We take for granted. The church I grew up in had a habit 
that I would like to address just on a side note here real quick of using a phrase that I think misleads people. We use the phrase, God told me all the time. God told me you should do this. God told me this was true. God told me fill in the blank. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe God does tell us things. I do believe God speaks to us. I do believe God gives us revelations and and dreams. I believe that. But the phrase God told me is dangerous for two reasons. Number one, it just kind of shuts down conversation. I mean, if I tell you God told me something, God told me you should do this, what are you going to say? God's wrong? No. God told me, puts whatever I'm about to say on par with scripture. It's all from God. He said scripture's words. He, he said my words. So I just shut down conversation. That's not helpful. Another thing that the phrase God tells, told me does is it implies to new believers and those who are not yet believers that you heard God's audible voice. Now, do people hear God's audible voice? Yes. I have never heard God's audible voice, and I don't know that many people have. It does happen. But if you are not in church circles, you assume God told me that you assume that means somebody heard God's audible voice. So maybe we need to adopt some more accurate phrases and not just assume that everything God says is in the same method. I think we actually help each other grow and learn and hear from God if we share with each other, how did God tell you? Where did you get this information? Was it an audible voice? Is it a feeling? Was it a dream? Did you read it in scripture? Because if it's in scripture, it's not God told me, it's God told us. Don't don't be arrogant about it and say that you have some special access, you have some special revelation if it's something you read in scripture because it's not God told you, it's God told us. This is in our letter. This is revelation to us. Well, let's be accurate. I think better phrases are things like scripture taught me. I was reading and, and I discovered this. Can I share it with you? Or the Holy Spirit is leading me to. This is accurate information. This helps me know, okay, if the Holy Spirit leads you, then maybe I can pursue that same kind of relationship with the Holy Spirit so that he can lead me. If I say, I've learned, I did some study, I talked to some wise people, and I I read this book about history or whatever it is, I've learned this, or I think I've come to this conclusion after all that, or I believe, even if I don't have all the answers, even if I can't fully explain it, I have chosen to believe this. And these phrases help us to better understand how we are accessing our information from God. Because the reality is we have unprecedented access. There are unbelievable ways that we can actually commune with God through the Holy Spirit and through scripture and with the revelation of Jesus Christ to our world who came in human form and taught us how to live. We have a lot of information. We have incredible access. So let's help each other in pursuit of understanding in pursuit of the truth that Paul is talking about. One of the ways that we pursue this truth is in the way we study scripture. It is our first and and best access, most accurate and firm, rock-solid way of knowing Christ. Study this book of instruction continually. He's not talking about the whole Bible. They didn't have the whole Bible. He's talking about revealed words of God, revealed scripture. Meditate on it day and night. So you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do.
Jesus makes our lives better and he makes us better at life. You know how? Meditate on scripture. For us, it's pretty easy comparatively. If, if you want to hear from God, read the Bible. For, for most of human history, it wasn't that easy. Number one, they were illiterate, most of them. Number two, they just had bits and pieces. So we ask the Holy Spirit to lead us. We ask the Holy Spirit to give us strength and wisdom. And we meditate on scripture. Paul says, let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. When you read the Bible, you are reading stories of incredible faith. People who did amazing things that to us just seem that must be a fairy tale, right? That can't be true, right? It's totally foreign to anything I know. Yet it's possible. How is it possible? Because they have incredible faith in God. It helps them to persevere. That gives them courage. That gives them strength that is not available in humanity. You see people walk on water. You see boys killing giants. You see smaller armies defeating larger armies. Incredible faith. People being healed. And their faith in God helped them overcome fear. So I think it's wise now to become introspective. What about me? Is my faith in God helping me, encouraging me, giving me the strength to overcome fear? What am I afraid to risk? What is, where's my treasure? What is my heart on? So much so that I'm afraid to risk it. I don't want to lose it. So I'll just play it safe. I'll just hide it away and protect it. I don't want to go to New Life Youth. I'm too shy and that may be uncomfortable. I don't want to start dating. I tried that and I got burned. I'll just stay single. I'll stay alone. I don't want to try out for the worship team. I'm, I'm too busy. I don't have time for that. I don't want to go to Israel. I hear it's a little bit dangerous. What is it for you? What is God leading you to? What is the Holy Spirit leading you to that you're not willing to go down that road of prayer and thought and conversation with God because it's scary? Because it's uncomfortable. Guess what? Your Your comfortable will not be comfortable for long. Because in our world, when we take the easy way out, easy turns into hard. Because this world is hard. And you can't hide for too long. You're going to run out. You're going to run out of whatever it is you're protecting. At the end of the Colossians, we read a unique phrase that I think gives us a powerful insight into the book that we've just read. So we're going to conclude today by looking at something that Paul wrote in his own hand. We're, going to, we're reminded here that Paul didn't actually write his letters. He had a scribe, but he had somebody else write it down. He dictated it and they wrote it down. Yet this phrase he wrote by himself. Here's what he wrote. Here is my greeting in my own handwriting. Paul. I did not capitalize those words. If you look at your Bible, these words 
are capitalized. Why? It is communicating to us that if you look at the original manuscripts, the early copies of the Bible, you see that when Paul wrote, he used very large letters when he wrote. And it was not for emphasis. Then Paul says this, remember my chains. Why did Paul use big letters when he wrote? We read a lot of passages from the Apostle Paul, but sometimes I think we forget the conditions he's writing in. So to understand these conditions better, I want to read a passage that he wrote to the church in Corinthians. He wrote this. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely. Anybody in here been flogged before? Not been flogged. Paul's been flogged. And been exposed to death again and again. Now he's going to get more specific. Here's how I've been exposed to death. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. The, the, the lashes, the whipping, is the punishment that Jew, Jews gave to people for blasphemy. Blasphemy. They said, Paul, you cannot say Jesus is God. You cannot say Jesus is the Messiah. That's blasphemy. You received the 39 lashes. Now, why is it 39 lashes? Because the Jews have discovered when they would whip people 40 times, they would die. So we're going to stop just short of the 40 because we're not allowed to kill people, according to the Romans. And, And also, we don't want them to die. We want them to experience the pain. So they whipped people 39 times. And they would whip them. It was probably something like this. And many times the people from this punishment died. Yet not Paul. He survived him. Not once, not twice, not three times, four, five times. He survived this punishment. People died from bleeding to death, from shock, from infection. So what does Paul's back look like when he's writing this letter? Paul's back it's hamburger meat. It's spaghetti. It's a disgusting mess. Five times. Then he goes on. Three times I was beaten with rods. He didn't have to explain what this is. It's the famous form of punishment done by the Romans. You look at history. We, archaeologists have told us that the Romans would use this as a punishment for sedition. Sedition. They, they said that Paul was trying to incite a rebellion raising up this Christian movement, trying to overthrow the government. So they beat him with rods. And when you picture rods, don't picture little sticks. These people were beaten with baseball bats. And they did not beat you until you had enough. They beat you until they were too tired to continue beating you. So what does Paul's body look like? It is smashed It is broken. There's no modern cast to make sure that his bones heal back in place correctly. Paul is now the hunchback of Notre Dame. He's deformed. He's disgusting. So his back is torn up. His bones are broken. He continues. Once I was pelted with stones. Paul was stoned. We read a lot about stoning. We see that 
They would grab the, the strongest guys they had, would grab the, the biggest stones that they had, and they'd put people down in some kind of valley, and they'd throw these large stones down at people until they thought they were dead. Paul's been stoned. What's he doing down in that valley being stoned? He's raising his hands, trying to protect himself, trying to, trying to fight off these stones. His hands are being smashed. His arms are being smashed. You aren't supposed to survive stoning. This is capital punishment. He continues. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. Paul, as he is writing this letter to you, as he is delivering to you this access to God, is a deformed, mangled, disgusting mess. Why did Paul have other people write his letters for him? Because he had his arms were incapable. Why were the letters so large? Because his, his hands were incapable of writing. Yet after all of this, at the end of Paul's life, he writes these words. We rejoice. We rejoice in our suffering. It's an image of unbelievable, mature, sacrificial, generous faith. We get these pictures throughout history of people who just give to an illogical extent. Just sacrifice and sacrifice and sacrifice until sacrifice just seems addictive to them. Paul's body has been broken and he's saying this is producing perseverance. I'm rejoicing in my suffering. You want to talk about strength. This is real strength. Incredible strength. He said we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance. That's a different kind of strength. It produces energy that is not available to humans. That is not available to us by building our physical muscles. This is an energy source that can only come from God. That can only come from the Holy Spirit. So what about us? Have we become so generous have we lived so sacrificially that God uses it to produce in us perseverance? I haven't. Or is our consumerism making us weak and frail, dependent on others, dependent on stuff, dependent on comfort, it just makes us weak. 
This is not the strength that we've been called to. And you're not going to get that kind of strength by making life easier, by getting what you want, by consuming everything that you want. You're only going to get that kind of strength through sacrifice, through putting your treasure where you want your heart to be. Fully giving myself to God matures my faith and produces perseverance. We can rejoice in suffering because we know that with God, we don't just have our strength, we have his strength. We can outlast the temporary strength of this world because we are built on the rock of God's word. The world is built on the sands of selfishness. We have been called to build our lives on the rock of selflessness. The world is built on the sands of pride. We've been called to build our lives on the rock of humility. The world is built on the sands of consumerism. The Christian life is built on the rock of generosity and sacrifice. The world's strength will fail. It will fall apart. But God gives us wisdom and truth to build a life that will not fall apart because it goes beyond this life, because it is bigger than this world. The life that we are called to build is an eternal life. And it's offered to us. And Jesus says, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I've read this passage my whole life. I used to think that, that what this means is that if I have enough faith, then God will provide for me. God will protect me. I will stay safe and he'll build a wall around me so that I never get attacked and hell can't defeat me. That is not what this passage says. This passage is talking, where's this battle happening? It's happening at the gates of hell. If you're fighting the battle Jesus is talking about, you're not in a bunker. You're not safe behind some walls in a, bu- in a Christian bubble that we've created. If you're fighting the battle that Jesus is talking about, you're fighting a battle at the gates of hell. In other words, you're fighting in a place where God seems absent. You're fighting in a place that's uncomfortable to you. You're fighting in a place that you don't go to naturally. You're on the mission field. You're getting out and you're doing hard things, not easy things. And when you do, you can look at the strength of someone like Paul and begin to understand It wasn't Paul's strength that he was operating in. There was a supernatural strength that was given to him by the Holy Spirit that could not be explained by looking at human strength. And it is only available to us from God.
And I wonder how many of us try so hard in our lives to do it on our own, to accomplish, to get promoted, to get popularity, to look right, whatever it is that is the idol that we happen to prop up that day. And we try to pursue those things in our own strength because the world's strength looks so appealing to us. I wonder how many of us are missing out on something so much greater, on something so much better and valuable than anything the world has to offer. So if you're on the outside looking in, which in a way we all kind of are, I invite you to something so much better because the world's popularity and fame and beauty is just leading you to depression. If you wonder why our world has mental health issues, it is not because of some law. It's not because of some legislation needs to happen. If you wonder why our world has mental issues, it is, it, it, it is because they are devoid not of some physical thing, but of a spiritual thing. Because they are in desperate need of God. They're in desperate need of hope and purpose that can only come from him. That's the solution we're looking for. And we keep looking at the world coming up with all their ideas of trying to fix something they cannot fix. They need strength that comes from God. God, I thank you for how you have given us access, that you've delivered yourself to us. Thank you for giving us an example when you came to this world of what it looks like to live right, to live a life of faith and sacrifice and generosity. God, I pray that you would give us the courage to give until it hurts to sacrifice until it hurts so that that hurting can produce in us perseverance that we don't have right now. Because we feel weak on a pretty regular basis because we are weak. Give us your strength. God, I thank you for the saints that have gone before, that protected and provided access to your word. I thank you for their sacrifice, that you gave them the strength. I thank you for those who built this church, who sacrificed to make this possible. I thank you for the faithful saints in this room who have elevated their service of you above everything else. God, give us that kind of faith. We love you. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.